leave now. Tell the crew. Movies. No more room in hell. TV. Walk up here. Four games. It takes a very steady hand. Conventions. Star Trek action figures also sold separately. Comics. My spidey sense is tingling. Collectibles. Sold $325. Books. I'm a best-selling author. RPGs. Where the Cheetos? Video games. Grab and fields. Music. Anime. I'm the hero. This is the GW Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the G2V Podcast. I'm Scott Woodard. On this episode, we are joined by a very special guest, and let me break out his bio here. Uh, he is an author, editor, book designer, educator, pop culture historian, and internationally recognized zombie expert. He co-authored the book Zombie Mania, 80 Movies to Die For, uh, and there's a new edition of that coming soon called Zombie Mania Rises, 100 Movies to Die For, that's going to contain something like a thousand movies. Uh, he teaches a course in zombies in popular media at the University of Baltimore that's garnered worldwide press coverage. You might have seen him on uh, Fox News. Oh, God. Uh, uh, he's contributed uh, chapters to Triumph of the Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman's zombie epic on page and screen, edited by James Lauder, uh, Brains, From Academics to Zombies, edited by Dr. Robert Smith, and it's a Robert Smith question mark, or does he just say Robert Smith, but he'll tell me, uh, and The Undead and Theology, edited by Kim Paffenroth and John W. Moorhead, which was actually nominated for a Stoker Award. Uh, he also, finally, uh, he does a lecture, Zombies, Monsters with Meaning, which he has presented at venues like the 2010 Zombie Symposium at the York College of Pennsylvania, Balticon 47, and the Baltimore Book Festival, and he is none other than G2V Podcast co-host, Dr. Arnold T. Blumberg. Hey, it's me! Hey, that's you! <laughs> it's me! I do all that stuff? You're that's, special. That's nuts. That's pretty amazing. It's a lot of zombie so, stuff to do. It is a lot of zombie stuff. And, well, we wanted to do, uh, you know, this is our our fourth and final Halloween-inspired episode of the month of October, 2013. And what better way to celebrate that than talk about zombies, thus the title of this episode, Zombie Mania, which, you, <laughs> you, which you willingly allowed us to use. Yes. Mania. <laughs> I should note that it was also, it, it's a coined word. It could easily have been trademarked if we'd been smart enough to do that. But we didn't, and Stars, the channel Stars, a couple years later, did a documentary called Zombie Mania. And I contacted them and very graciously said, hey, neat, so cool of you to do a documentary that's the same title as the book we published two years earlier. And that's all I said, and they replied with, yeah, okay, very cool. Well, <laughs> you have a nice day then. <laughs> so, well, I, I would expect nothing less of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, so you are our very special guest, but that's not really necessarily necessarily going to change the way the show will flow. No. Um, as is usual, we will have a great conversation about zombies and zombies in pop culture and movies and TV shows, of course. Walking Dead kind of doing pretty well this season. Doing phenomenally <laughs> well. As we record this today, Variety just announced that, uh, as AMC put it, the most anticlimactic renewal announcement in television, <laughs> that they were renewing it for the fifth season, and that uh, it got over 16 million viewers in its fourth season premiere, and it also topped on Sunday World Series and Super Bowl numbers. 
Anytime so. zombies can beat sports, it's a it's, good time in my book. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah, Zom- It's now the most popular TV show for all adults between the ages of 18 and 49. This is incredible demographics for uh, something that a few years ago would never have been on TV at all. Yeah, and this season's been great, too. But we'll talk about all that in a little bit. Yep. Um, but uh, this episode, and while we're celebrating that, while we're celebrating the announcement of a fifth season, uh, we're kind of celebrating a few other things, a few other landmarks in regards to this episode, aren't we? Yep. Well, you mentioned it's the wrap-up for our Halloween month. And yep, that's a big deal. We've really knocked out a, a whole bunch of episodes for every week of the Halloween month of October. Uh, but this is also our 10th regular episode. Woohoo! Not counting our little satellite episodes, so that means this is our 10th anniversary as far as episodes. And believe it or not, this is also our six-month anniversary doing the podcast. We started this back in May of 2013, so now we've reached the six-month mark, and it's uh, it's pretty impressive, actually. So there we yeah. go. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and some people might say, "Well, why don't you count your satellite episodes?" Well, if we did, that'd be 14 episodes. <laughs> That's right. And, Holy crap! Now we've done even more. It's amazing. I know it's pre- it but, is amazing. But we're just so thrilled that people are listening to the show and enjoying it, and we've been seeing quite a bit more feedback and support and encouragement, and uh, that's why we want to forge ahead and keep doing more and exciting stuff. Yeah, I know it goes without saying, but uh, please listen, like, share, tell everybody about it. You know, the only way we can keep growing this little uh, podcast empire is to have you guys spread the word, and and we really appreciate it. And one of the things we did do last time to try to enhance that a little bit was for the very first time we offered a prize. We offered the chance for someone to win a copy of uh, Midnight Syndicate's The Thirteenth Hour, and we did that as a contest in our last episode, the Lovecraft episode. We did indeed, and we did get some uh, some uh, contest uh, entries. Little light on the entries, I have to say. I kind of expected a few more than we got. I don't uh, know why there's an allergy <laughs> to free stuff. There might be something going around, but if there is, take your pills and remember, free is free. So yeah, free. Let's uh, yeah, let's emphasize that we are giving away free stuff, and in this case, a really terrific album by by Midnight Syndicate. Yeah. Um, but we do have a winner, and we are, we're going to announce it right now. Uh, as I said, we, we didn't get as many submissions as we had hoped, but, but we certainly had enough to be able to, to throw the number into a random number generator. And our winner of the 13th Hour by Midnight Syndicate is Jay Garth Wilcox. So Yay. I will get in touch with you and uh, – or Jay and – God, he was Jay Garth. I don't know. Um, anyway, I will get in touch with him, and we will get uh, the contact information and get that CD in the mail promptly but i know you're going to enjoy it it's terrific that's awesome and it may not it certainly wouldn't be in time for halloween but then again for a lot of people like us halloween doesn't ever really have to end no not at all that's okay but now that said we actually have another contest and another free giveaway reminder free free there's no catch (laughs) it's not it's not a trap there's no there's, there's no trick this is free you can actually respond, <laughs> and we will not steal your soul or, you know, affect your family in any way. Nope. 
Midnight Syndicate were so wonderful about giving us the opportunity to use their music through the entire month of October for the podcast. We're featuring it again this time around as we talk about zombies. And where last time they gave us a copy of the 13th Hour, which they specifically said would be a nice tie-in to the Lovecraft-themed episode, they also suggested a copy of another album for this particular episode. So once again, we are offering you the chance to win a free underlined all in caps <laughs> stars all around it shining and sparkling kittens dancing through the letters free copy of midnight syndicate's album their latest release monsters of legend which we actually referred to a couple episodes back when we talked about universal horror because monsters of legend was an album they specifically designed as an homage not only to universal but to hammer and to many other classic monster stories and films and that's their latest release, and we have a copy for free. And all you have to do is answer the question I'm about to ask you and send in an answer or uh, post the answer to our Facebook page. You could post it in the comments on the website or email it directly to us at contact.gdvpodcast.com. Put the word contest in the subject line or Monsters of Legend or something like that so we know exactly what it is. And uh, should I go ahead? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Here's your question. And since it's a zombie-themed episode, it is a zombie-themed question. This movie was actually the first film that introduced the idea that zombies specifically want to eat your brains. It's become quite a cliche over the years, and plenty of newspapers and media love to keep referencing brains. And as you heard earlier, one of my credits is a book that uses that as a title. But there's one specific film that first introduced the idea that they weren't just coming to eat flesh, they were coming to eat your brains. Which movie was it? And I'm going to give you five choices. Your choices are Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Nightmare City, Return of the Living Dead, or Reanimator. Which one of those five movies was the first to introduce the idea that zombies specifically want to eat brains? Email us at contact at gdvpodcast.com, post on the Facebook page, post in the comments, send your messages by telepathy, however you want to do it, and you will win a free, <laughs> free, completely free, we don't need your bank account number. Free copy of Midnight Syndicate's Monsters of Legend. And it really is a great album. Scott and I have heard the entire thing. We were using it previously, and it's awesome. So Wait, we weren't using the one that you're getting. You're actually getting one in or in the shrink wrap. Yes, that's it's right. Sealed. It's that's right. never been opened. Yeah, it's a brand new copy of it, too. That's right. So, yeah, so definitely go ahead and enter that. Uh, we really do want to give prizes away. But we need to hear from you people, so... There you go. Yeah. G to V. <laughs> Almost two decades, Midnight Syndicate has composed the soundtrack to your darkest nightmares. Imaginations of fans worldwide have been fueled by its gothic, horror, and fantasy symphonic albums. A staple of the haunted house and amusement park industry, for many, the music of Midnight Syndicate is the music of Halloween. Now, Midnight 
Midnight Syndicate will bring your nightmares to life in a spectacle of sight and sound from beyond the grave. Support Midnight Syndicate Live on Kickstarter.com today. All right. <laughs> I don't know why it's like pulling teeth to give stuff away nowadays. I don't know. I know. This has got to be a trap. <laughs> we might want to make it one now, but no. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, um, let's uh, let's start talking about zombies. Yes, let's do that. Well, you're the one who can talk about them. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just the. I'm just gonna say I'm just the uh, the hopeless zombie fan who's gonna. You know, obviously I'll, I'll be chiming in, but uh, you are the expert. As I said in your bio, so I really hope you take charge of this thing. Okay. Well, one of the things that often comes up right from the very beginning is people always want to know where did it all get started. And one of the things that some people don't tend to think about too much, that anybody's aficionado would probably know, and it was actually just recently on several channels as we're in the Halloween season, so it's not exactly something that's obscure, is that for all intents and purposes, the beginning of zombies in pop culture is the 1932 Bela Lugosi film, White Zombie, which is a beautiful piece of work that anyone that has ever resisted watching a black and white movie or an old film in general you do yourself a favor if you're a fan of any genre entertainment and sit through the incredibly short running time of barely an hour for White Zombie, and you'll be rewarded with one of Bela Lugosi's finest performances ever, some incredible atmosphere, and the first official zombie movie in history, which is not to say that that's really entirely where it begins, because it actually technically comes up in prototype form in some other films, including The Classic Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. There are a few other silent films that are sometimes credited as starting the idea of the zombie. And then there's William C. Brooks' book, The Magic Island, which was published in 1929 and was his study of A Visit to Haiti, in which he wildly misinterpreted voodoo practices that he witnessed there. (laughs) And it was really Western culture discovering another religious tradition and completely missing the point and turning it into something freakish and alien and alarming. And of course, as the media still does to this very day, there's nothing that gets eyeballs and papers or on the page or on the screen more than fear. So one of the first things that started happening with the success of Magic Island, there are only about 12 pages in the whole book that actually talk about voodoo or zombies at all. It sparked a wave of uh, intense interest and other newspaper articles and other coverage. And before you know it, there came White Zombie in 1932. And the zombie, not quite as we know it today, got started for the very first time. And many people that still think that a zombie is, oh, I know what a zombie is. It's a dead person that comes back to life. Well, when the zombie first started, they were living human beings being controlled by a voodoo master or by a high priest. So dead was not a requirement for the zombie nor is it a requirement today if you know anything about movies like 28 days later or other films like that so death is not a uh, a prerequisite for being a zombie i just have to interrupt you real quick um uh, just so you guys know i i record i don't record this in a studio this is just done in my den at my house and uh we have these occasionally obnoxious kids who live around our neighborhood and sometimes they like to wander into my backyard. 
That's really annoying. Yeah. So uh, I'm kind of I'm hearing something out there, and just give me one second, Arnold. If you want to continue, I just want to. See if I can get them to stop. Sure, no problem. It's kind of obnoxious for recording. I know. This is not... <laughs> we blocked out this time. and yeah, You can keep talking. I, I, I can well, talk. that's the thing. So lots of people think that they know what a zombie is. They have a preconception in their mind. But that's really where it all began. And then, of course, it goes through a really huge evolution over a long period of time. There are zombies guys, of all kinds. I hope nope. those kids go away. Give me one second. I can see you out there. Just go. Terrible. They're just gesturing at me and crap. I don't know what the... But for all intents and purposes... <laughs> Sorry about that. Coming that's back. That's okay. One thing we can certainly say also is that when everybody does think of a zombie, if you grab a person <clears> off the street and say, what is a zombie? Well, they're now going to most likely picture the kind of creature they're used to from shows like The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And where that actually gets started, that actually gets started for all intents and purposes with George Romero's Night of the Living Dead in 1968. And there are a few precursors even there. Movies like Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. Uh, a movie that some people might not know, but is pretty important in the evolution of the zombie, a 1959 sci-fi movie called Invisible Invaders, uh, which is basically the same plot as Plan 9 from Outer Space, but done a little more seriously, not quite, um, not much more competently, but slightly. <laughs> uh, and all these little stepping stones take us to Night of Living Dead and the idea of the dead coming back to life. And before you know it, you've got the zombie as we know him today, or her today. Uh, although in Night of Living Dead, of course, as anybody who's an aficionado knows, they don't even say the word zombie once. They refer to them as ghouls or as those things, which is probably one of the most common phrases in any zombie movie ever. Those things. So you'll hear lots of movies where people are talking about those things are out there, and that's us. Oh, funny. You know, I never saw, what was it, Invisible Invaders? Invisible I've never Invaders. Seen that. It's, a, it's a cool little sci-fi movie anyway. Uh, it's got John Carradine in it. Uh, and in it, alien beings come to Earth, day of, the Earth, day of the Earth stood still style, to warn us against the use of atomic power. And they're invisible aliens that inhabit the bodies of dead human beings and reanimate them in order to communicate and eventually to launch an attack on the human race. And we have to find a way to stop the zombies. And hmm. it's, it's an interesting movie, and it's often been credited by Romero himself as one of the movies that gave him some of the visual look for the way the zombies are in Night of Living Dead. You'll see a lot of white businessmen in suits walking in Invisible Invaders. <laughs> uh, and you'll, you'll, not, you'll easily see that there's a, a visual connection there between that and Night of Living Dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too. You mentioned Plan 9. And I've always... The interesting, interesting thing about that movie is that at its core, like at the very tiniest little element, uh, the plot is kind of interesting. The... Yeah, I mean, well, the other thing, Plan Nine's a lot of fun. It, it's obviously a lot of people. If anybody loves the so good, the so bad they're good movies, you know, they've seen Plan Nine. It, it won that what was it a Golden Razzie Award years ago for being the worst movie ever made, which, as I mm-hmm. always say, it's not because it's actually shot and lit and the sound is there and it's ed- there are movies I have seen particularly in the zombie genre that look like they were shot on somebody's old camera as a student project some of them were uh, shot as student projects and they're completely inept in terms of every aspect of production Plan 9 really isn't 
and and it has its moments. So it's not the worst movie of all. It's just a kind of incompetent one, but it's also fun. Yeah. And it has corpses uh, resurrected by aliens. But this is like in the 50s, you get this far step away from where everything began with voodoo zombies. And we shouldn't avoid the fact that we, we should also take a moment to mention that besides White Zombie, another seminal film right from the very beginning is Val Luton's and Jacques Tourneur's, um I Walked with a Zombie in 19. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which is basically Jane Eyre with a zombie. <laughs> and so if anybody is a, an aficionado of Jane Eyre and its many interpretations and you haven't seen I Walk with a Zombie, you haven't seen every version of Jane Eyre yet. But then, of course, as soon as you... the hell? What was that? Oh, no. You know, it's, well, we're in a very quiet area. We don't have problems like kids like you were talking about. But, it, you know, it's really disturbing is that sometimes you hear things like a car backfiring, and it always scares me because it sounds like gunshots. And yeah, I mean, having lived in L.A. for as long as I did, I know what gunshots that's not, are. That doesn't happen around here, so it's just... I can hear that. Yeah, that's... But it's got to just be that some idiot with their car or something, so I wouldn't worry about it. Or fireworks. Happy Halloween. Or fireworks, yeah. Well, you know, that happens so often around here that it's just... Any chance they have to shoot something off, they're going <laughs> to... That's probably what it is. But actually, right. of course, the night we choose to record, everything's going crazy. So Of course. But anyway... Well, anyway, Jane Eyre, Jane Eyre, I Walk With a Zombie. Yep, from voodoo to aliens and science fiction, and then all the way to Night of the Living Dead in 1968, and that's really where the modern zombie is born. And that's the thing, really, when you think about this, too, is from Magic Island all the way up to this, the zombie's really a very modern monster. It's a very modern invention. Uh, most other monsters sort of in the pantheon, uh, the vampire, the werewolf, a lot of them have this very long history of folklore tradition. And the zombie technically does, if you look at voodoo and other things like that. But for the most part, as a pop culture icon, it was invented in Hollywood in the 30s. So it has a much shorter lifespan and is an invention of the media. And that's one of the things that always comes up, which is the zombie, I always say anyway, is the absolute best way to tell what we're afraid of as a culture at any given point in history. Find that point in history, find the zombie story, and you will find out what it is we're afraid of. All you have to do is mm-hmm. interpret it. The zombie is the perfect embodiment of fear. And so many of those movies make it sometimes very heavy-handed, but they make it very obvious because they are us, we are them. They're just humanoid representations of fear. It could be infection and plague. It could be nuclear war, but one way or another... That's that fear coming right back at us with our face. Right. Well, you said you're a fan. So what is it that drew you into enjoying zombie movies? Well, I mean, if we wanted to do our sort of personal introduction, my I think my first zombie film, you're going to laugh at this one. Do you, wait, maybe you know. Do you know what my first zombie film was? The first zombie film I ever saw? I know we've probably talked about this at some point, but I can't remember. Children shouldn't oh, play with dead things. Right. Of course. That was my first exposure to zombies before even Night of the Living Dead. Well, I mean, unless I had seen zombies in some other, you know, hammer film or something. Gather around, children. Gather around, children. Uh, but no, it was a, it was an all-night uh, horror movie marathon. And um, it must have been Halloween. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and my brother had friends over. 
And I remember, I, I remember this so vividly. And I got up in the middle of the night, and everyone was still downstairs watching movies. Uh-huh. And I wandered down, and I'm four years younger than my brother, so I don't know how old I was. And he was probably 12 or 13. That means I was you know, eight or nine or something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, came downstairs and watched a little bit of something. And then my mom was there as well, and she said, oh, you know, you can you can go ahead and watch. And they ran... Children shouldn't play with dead things. And shockingly, if if memory serves, it was run uncut. I was just about to ask you that because children shouldn't play with dead things. If nobody has checked this out, not only is it occasionally hysterically funny, uh, if only because of Alan Ormsby, um, <laughs> whose performance is one of those legendary performances. You will grow to hate that man by the end of the film. <laughs> I guarantee it. But it's significant for several reasons. One, it's a Bob Clark film. And Bob Clark is an extraordinary director and filmmaker whose uh, career, which was cut very short by a drunk driver that killed both him and his son only a few years ago. It's absolutely yeah. tragic. Uh, and, and by the way, right at that time, they were working on remakes of Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things and his other zombie movie that came only a couple years later that's also hugely significant, Tom Savini's first really uh, big showcase, Death Dream which also is called The Night Andy Came Home and Dead of Night. So you might encounter that under multiple titles. But Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, Bob Clark, the same man that gave us one of the uh, annual Christmas traditions with a Christmas story, and who also created one of the ultimate uh, over-the-top teen sex hijinks films, Porky's. And then here he is also contributing to horror with that, with Death Dream and Black Christmas, one of the early slasher films. This guy was all over the map, and he was really great at everything. And yeah, Yeah. and died way too soon. It was a really tragic situation. Uh, In fact, they were updating Death Dream, which is about a Vietnam vet that comes home, and it was really a metaphor for post-traumatic stress disorder. They were working on a remake that was going to set it uh, in Afghanistan instead. And oh, it was wow. going to be called Zero Dark Thirty, which is the same title that they then used for that recent, uh, what is it, the Osama Bin Laden movie. Oh, right, right. Yeah, so they were working on all that when he died. Not that these projects necessarily end when the one person dies, but he was uh, personally involved in the development of all that and lost hmm. it. But Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, one of the very first color zombie films and one of the very first ones to actually show in full color zombies eating people. And yeah. getting very visceral about it. So it's amazing to me that you <laughs> saw that uncut. And they were showing that on television? Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. amazing. And if I, again, if memory serves, I think it was preceded, not that it's a zombie film, but it was preceded by uh, Don't Look in the Basement, oh. shown uncut. Wow. And so, yeah, my, my poor little <laughs> eight-year-old brain was just <laughs> completely assaulted that that's night. That's pure nightmare fuel. <laughs> That also has an incredible ending. I'm. I don't know if I should ruin the end. Well, we're gonna we're talking about this what? Stuff. Don't look in the basement. No, for children shouldn't play with death. Oh right, right. Okay. Because yeah. it just has one of the greatest endings of any zombie movie ever. After all the carnage and everybody, like I don't know. Is it spoiling anything to tell you that people are not gonna make it out alive? I think you're gonna. <laughs> um, the movie ends with the credits rolling over, not entirely silent because you're hearing the ambient noise, but just the slow quiet movement of the group of zombies making their way to the dock and getting a sailboat ready to sail from the island where they've been resurrected across to the mainland and the city, which means basically you're watching the beginning of the end of the world at the end. And it's weird and creepy because they can sail. 
<laughs> Evidently, they know how to get the boat ready, so the boat the boat can leave now at the end of Children's Shrimp. Oh, hey, there you go. Good point. Yeah. Good point. I actually played that clip at the top, so we'll talk about that movie in a moment. Uh, but anyway, yeah, and that, so that was my first one, and then it wasn't very much longer after that that I remember riding my bicycle in the middle of the summer uh, to my local library, and this was in my tiny, tiny little small rural town in upstate New York, and they used to show movies, and I think they were Saturday mornings, probably Saturday mornings. And it was always the usual fare. You know, you'd go up there and they'd show a 16-millimeter print of Herbie the Love Bug <laughs> or, you know, that kind of stuff. That's truly and horrifying. It was, right? oh, it's truly horrifying. But, I mean, it was, you know, they were shown on a 16-millimeter projector. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this particular case, I, if, I, if I remember right, I was 11 years old, rode my bike down to the, our little village, went upstairs to where the little projection room, projection room was, sat down, and watched Night of the Living Dead. Wow. They were just determined to just break your brain <laughs> at a young age. And now you all know why I am the way yeah, I am. I can't. I can't the reasons why. I can't even explain it quite that way. I, you know, mm-hmm. the weird thing is that everybody always asks me this, too. I can never really remember when I first encountered zombies. Or, like, everybody always asks because of the book and the other things. Like, well, when do you first get interested? And, and a lot of my real strong focus on it started once I was working on the book in the 2000s. But obviously... I was always interested as a kid, along with all the other stuff I liked, science fiction and horror. I know I had to see Night of the Living Dead when I was young because it was just one of those movies that would always be on every Halloween. It was in the public domain, so any channel could run it. Uh, So I know I had to have seen it, but I have no clear memory of when that would have happened. I don't have, like you do, a clear memory of like this watershed moment of, here's a movie I've seen that, like, wow, that's... That's shocked me. Um, yeah. Except that I do remember that when the whole videotape thing began and we got our very first Panasonic video recorder and and Barry's video station was the local place that opened near us, besides the fact that there were arrows popping up everywhere, Barry's video station was our local video shop. And I remember going in there and looking at the new releases and two of the very first things I wanted to get were Stripes and Halloween 2, because I'd seen the TV commercials for Halloween 2 and thought that looked amazing. I did not see mm-hmm. the first Halloween first. I saw Halloween 2 first. But we've talked about that, I think, in the Carpenter yeah. one. But then, mm-hmm. back in the corner, you know, back like pornography, away, far, far away from people <laughs> where it might offend you, uh, they had socked away a lot of the horror stuff. And I remember pulling out the box and looking at the cover uh, with Worm Eye on the cover of Zombie. Which, of course, many people now automatically know as Zombie 2, or in the UK, Zombie Flesh Eaters. And I remember looking at that face, and I did not get it. Um, I don't think it. my parents would have necessarily not wanted me to, but I didn't get it. But I definitely looked at it and thought, wow, I've got to see that movie someday and see yeah. what that's about. That face was just... It's not mortifying or shocking. It was, It was definitely like, wow, that's absolutely insane i have to see what that is someday but it was many many years before i saw it oh sure now predating that um i for some reason just i'll never forget when dawn of the dead was released Mm. um not to say that i saw it but it's kind of funny because it's it's amazing how these memories are just so strong all related to zombie films um but i remember when that movie came out and i remember uh, a friend of mine 
who was the same age as I, had actually seen it. His father had taken him to go see it. I think I remember and seeing I was the so TV jealous. I think I saw the Yeah, they used to run the TV ads, and yeah. I remember seeing the ads in the paper. Um, and I'm sure when we went to see movies at the movie theater, I saw the poster or something. Yeah. Obviously, I desperately wanted to see it, <laughs> but there was no way that was going to happen, not in my home. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't... Um... It's it's interesting now when I think back. It's so hard for me to remember a lot of the details like that. I I liked some horror movies. I was probably I guess the more I think of it, I guess you'd say I was much more heavily into science fiction stuff. But I certainly encountered more than a share of, of horror. But I think a lot of that I kind of gravitated to it as I got older. So I didn't feel necessarily the impulse like, oh, I've got to see that. I got to see that. But it was always around, and I remember. I remember a lot of those great TV commercials for them. Um, I seem to remember seeing a TV ad for Zombie Two, but hmm. then okay. that's one of those indelible trailers that everybody remembers the way that starts with the letters and the theme. And there's just it's one of. The- Is that the the white letters on black, which just goes Z. Yeah, o, or is it black M, and white? Yeah. But yeah, but it's yeah, it's yeah. just the letters and the and then it crashes into a few clips. But of course, it's one of the greatest musical themes. That's another thing too. You can go on and on about that. One of the incredible things about the zombie genre is how many memorable and absolutely incredible themes musically these movies have created. Whether it's the mm-hmm. zombie two theme, that's Fabio Fritzi, isn't it? Doing the yeah, theme. yeah. Or things like the Trioxin theme from Return of the Living Dead. There, there's music that's so uh, incredibly and deeply associated with these movies. And anybody that's a fan, the music is important. Uh, certainly, well, the, the Goblin, Goblin soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for Dawn of the Dead. And as we record this, I just taught uh, the zombie class today. And one of the movies we were talking about today was Zombie or Zombie 2. And we were talking about how that represented a massive ratcheting up of violence and gore that came to be so associated with zombies right around the time of the influx of home video. And then over in the UK, the uh, fighting back against it with the Video Nasties movement and the fact that that was one of the 39 films that was specifically targeted and banned. Um, And so all this kind of you know, fits together. And it's interesting that a genre that's all about fear inspired a wave of fear entirely about the content. So you get the video nasties. And Evil Dead, what started our whole podcast off months ago, Evil Dead was one of the video nasties too. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Is there a list online? There is a list can... online. Yeah, we'll, we'll put this in the show notes. There's a list online. There are 39 movies that were officially banned. I think at this point, every single one of them has now been finally released in the UK, uh, uncut or in some form. So I think that whole era is more or less officially done. Didn't necessarily even end until the 2000s, though, so it shows how long that... (laughs) That's amazing. Um, But there are a number of other movies that weren't specifically... They didn't act upon, but I think were listed, and then there were movies that were also warnings, but... The main list is the list that anybody that really knows the video nasty stuff knows. And, of course, what does that wind up doing? All it wound up doing was encouraging an entire generation of horror fans to try to see every single one of those movies. (laughs) Um, So, you know, thank you, Video Nasties, because Anthropophagus and all these other movies. I think Extra was on there. I think Extra might have been Bay of Blood or Twitch of the Death Nerve, which was one of the inspirations Friday 13th. That was on the list. Which Finder General was that on there? 
Um, I, that one was be, banned at one point, but I don't know if it's that particular be, list. But... Yeah, and certainly quite a few of the Italian cannibal fo- uh, films, like Hooray! cannibal films, those, yeah, <laughs> which are sort of like you know cousins to the Italian zombie genre That's that true. we're yeah. talking about. Um, in fact, one of them even featuring Ian McCullough. So, you know, he was he was doing a lot of double duty oh, in these uh, films. Right, right. Um, well, and I mean, even like Doctor Butcher MD has, or what was the other title for that one? Uh, oh, right, Zombie Holocaust. Zombie Holocaust that has cannibals and zombies. Has cannibals and zombies, and there's Ian. So yeah. <laughs> he's, he's there just in case. And of course, yeah. the, zam- the, zo- the zombies, the zombies, <laughs> the zombies, <laughs> the zombies in that one are are, are uh, they're not flesh eating zombies. They're they're no. more like traditional zombies. But see, that's the other thing. I, one of the things I always talk about is I favor a very wide, inclusive definition of what constitutes a zombie. And the fact is, there's so many movies, like a lot of things in a lot of genres, where it seems like there's just this sort of uh, amorphous fan consensus where people just go, yeah, that counts. And you kind of know it, and you don't even necessarily know why. And as you well know from other projects we've worked on, coming up with a ironclad criteria for what fits and what does not fit in a particular genre is not always easy. Mm -hmm. But you sometimes just know. And there are things that a lot of zombie movies or zombie-like movies share that you can say, yes, that's a zombie movie. Death, like I said earlier, is not a requirement. Many zombie movies feature living human beings who are infected by something or mutated by something or possessed, and yet they are still zombies. And if anyone ever fights back and tells you, well, zombies are only corpses, just point them back to White Zombie in the days where it all began and say, see, no, that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Death doesn't matter. It's just that that's the version we're most familiar and maybe even in a weird way most comfortable with right. today. But yeah, because it was certainly, certainly much later that you got like Serpent in the Rainbow. Right, exactly. And that reaches right back to the very core of the historical aspect of it and a real world story that then, of course, Wes Craven turned into a Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> uh, story with a guy diving sideways through the air and disappearing into portals so that... <laughs> So somehow I don't think Wade Davis actually experienced that, but you know we'll never know. Um, what the? But yeah, so I, so there's a mix of all these things, and I'm I'm really wide ranging in what I think constitutes a zombie. Things that are common to them all is human beings losing free will or personality or individuality and behaving like a mob, a more primal behavior, murderous, potentially even cannibalistic. Although, as Dawn of the Dead actually tells you, technically you wouldn't call them cannibals. Um, and those factors are more important than whether the creatures in it are living or dead. Right. And the whole idea is really just at its very core. It's just the idea that vampires, werewolves, mummies, all these other monsters, they're defined in very specific ways, physically and otherwise. The zombie, they're just rotten, decayed or infected versions of us. Yeah. And they're our family and friends. And, and even ourselves, if we fall victim to whatever it is. So there's nothing more horrifying than the idea that your parents, your children... There's one of the great taboos the genre often deals with, too, is zombie children. It's like every taboo wrapped up in one. Mm-hmm. Innocence, you know, uh, corrupted, and then something coming at you. If there's anything that's probably more dangerous in horror, I would say it's the zombie little girl. <laughs> if that's... 
if that's coming at you, run because that's not going to be good. What's that movie with the bus that goes through the fog? Is that the children or uh, the toxic fog? I think you're right. I think you're right. And actually, locally right now, uh, Halloween time, we always have like a lot of places have a lot of Halloween events, uh, uh, live Halloween, um, you know, like haunted houses and stuff. And there's one around here that's been going on for many years called Bennett's Curse. But there's one right now that I'm hearing the radio commercials for all the time called Legends of the Fog. Uh, and it's really creepy, and it's what sounds like a little girl, but it might be somebody doing it with a voice distortion, I don't know. But the whole backstory is it's an orphanage that was uh, attacked by a toxic fog, and you take a haunted hayride to see the the remains of the (laughs) beings that have been left behind. I'm thinking, wow, an orphanage full of zombie kids, that sounds terrifying. So... No, and no, I haven't brought myself. Uh, I can't bring myself to face that. <laughs> yeah, but it's from the the comfort of the. Dude, do you hear that? Hel- <laughs> do you hear the helicopter? Oh, uh, and and the the firework stuff has not stopped. Oh, that's great! Happy Halloween, everybody. In fact, I was gonna. It, I and of course, naturally recording. But if we could take a break, what I was gonna do, I actually wanted to check the news and see if they're talking about some crazy. Maybe. I don't know. Probably somebody won a game or something. Yeah, we'll do a. I'm going to insert a little break right here and then we'll uh, check the news and see what right, the see. hell's going on. G to B. Almost two decades. Midnight Syndicate has composed the soundtrack to your darkest nightmares. The imaginations of fans worldwide have been fueled by its gothic, horror, and fantasy symphonic albums. A staple of the haunted house and amusement park industry, for many, the music of Midnight Syndicate is the music of Halloween. Now, Midnight Syndicate will bring your nightmares to life in a spectacle of sight and sound from beyond the grave. Support Midnight Syndicate live on kickstarter.com today. I think we have some late word of just arriving and I'll interrupt to bring this to you. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. It's hard for us here to believe what we're reporting to you but it does seem to be a fact yeah that's crazy that's that's uh it's actually a little disturbing because that sounds really like a lot of these (laughs) movies actually are yeah but But, as we've seen it's like likely to just be bath salts or something i know it's going to be a bath salt situation (laughs) except for now i'm like wondering if that's if they're connected with all the noise i've been hearing here but who knows I, i thought it was fireworks but yeah, now I'm not so sure because I keep hearing sirens now too. So I'm actually getting creeped out. Yeah. But well, <laughs> well, look, we, we know that no matter what, 
can talk about zombies all we want, but we know they're not real. So exactly. that doesn't, that's not going to happen, folks. There's no apocalypse. Don't stock your canned goods. Uh, it's always just fireworks or exactly. cars back. It's fireworks, only so. Halloween. That's right. All right. Anyway, so where were we? What were we talking about? Uh, well, we're talking about some of the movies, but I also think the problem is, like we do with a lot of these things, it can we could talk so much about so many things. I mean, um, in general, uh, one of the things we were talking about was how much the zombies have changed over the years. And one of the things that I was mentioning was about fear. If we just look at the present day, for instance, one of the things that's happened, and The Walking Dead is a great example, mm-hmm. by the way, is that I mean, this is nothing new, but as anybody who knows anything about horror will tell you, you can always map the surges in popularity in horror, particularly in this country, to any time we've gone through periods of intense trauma or stress. So, for instance, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, anytime you see things like that happen, you see a spike. And zombies have also followed that sort of roller coaster ride. What is kind of disturbing in a way is that the last time that surge really happened again, was post 9-11. Right. And it really hasn't stopped. This is the longest sustained surge <laughs> in popularity in the zombie. And what is also just as disturbing is that rather than reach a peak, it is continuing to rise. In the 10, 11, well, yeah, 12 years now, um, 11 or 12 years that all this has been going on, The Walking Dead's increasing popularity alone has shown us that not only are they not going away and not peaking but they're continuing to grow and not only that but globally in just the last few years alone the very first zombie movies ever produced by countries like uh greece and israel and uh, north korea and (laughs) malaysia and there are zombie movies cropping up in countries that never had a tradition of telling those stories at all and so it's spreading appropriately enough and it's growing in popularity, and it all started most recently, post 9-11, with the release of 28 Days Later in 2002, with the release of the Dawn of the Dead remake in 2004, which I kind of like, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, like it, too. If you just don't compare it to the original and figure, well, it's another riff on the idea of people in a mall, it's it's got a lot of good points on its own. And right between those two, what happened in 2003 the debut of Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead comic Mm -hmm. from Image Comics. And most famously, when he pitched them the comic, they did not want to publish it because they insisted that nobody would buy a comic with zombies (laughs) because zombies are popular. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you think about it, what what had come out prior to that, apart from, uh, what was that one, Dead World, which was very underground. Yes, exactly. And and they were right. I mean, there was no... um, there was no uh, predecessor to something like The Walking Dead that would really indicate. And the thing is, in comic book world, for instance, and we could talk about this a lot, but to keep it short, the comic book world has a long and, and spotty tradition with horror in the sense that horror was what got comics into a huge amount of trouble in the 1950s. And it's and a wave of censorship and uh, scare tactics that led to the creation of the Comics Code Authority, a censorship board that would control comics content. And when that was introduced in the 50s, one of the things I always find a lot of fun is the actual language of the original comics code in the 50s specifically said that certain monsters were no longer to be be depicted in comics. And they listed vampires, werewolves, and in these words, they listed the walking dead. So the very comic that came along decades later and became one of the most popular comic books ever published 
focused on and used the title of the very language that would never have been allowed with the original code. That's hilarious. And now it's become an empire unto itself with a TV adaptation and games and card games and statues and action figures. And it's just passed 100 issues a while back. It's celebrating its 10th anniversary and it shows no signs of going away. And Kirkman has not only created this empire now, but they're planning the spin-off show. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. So in comics, zombies have proven to be just as popular, if not more so, than they are in film. Oh, sure. Yeah, and then from comics, we go to games. And not just board games, as you mentioned, and card games, but tabletop role-playing games. And certainly uh, there's been a glut of video games. I mean, my favorite video game to date and I only the only reason that I'm so addicted to it is it, it's sometimes it's not even because of the genre but just because I like the gameplay so much is uh, Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2 mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. I uh, play still play fairly regularly because it's one of the very mm-hmm. few games that I can sit down and play a full game in you know like an hour um, uh-huh. but uh, you know terrific game but there are so many zombie games out there there's that you know the Dead, Dead Island and there's uh, what Dead um uh, Oh, what's it? Dead Rising. Dead Rising, which I think Dead Rising 3 is coming out now. That's right. Um, and probably one of the most successful and, and high-profile um, game releases in the last couple of years was that uh, game, The Last of Us. Yeah, which was Which was a post-apocalyptic game. Yes, which and, and which very interestingly kept that under wraps when they released and promoted the game. They did not reveal when releasing the game that it was, in fact, a zombie game. Uh, and they base their zombies on the one of the fascinating real science stories that's been going around for several years now. And usually people post it online with the wry commentary like, oh, if this ever hops to human beings, we're doomed. So in The Last of Us, it does. But there is a very real fungal infection out there in certain tropical regions. Uh, it's been seen in ants and it's been seen in some other creatures where this fungus actually attacks living creatures like the ant, for instance, and grows in them kills the ant, but continues to impel the body of the ant to move and spread the fungus elsewhere. It creates zombie ants. And it's really, really disturbing. (laughs) In fact, we put a joke movie in the first edition of Zombie Mania. Uh, We put one fake movie in the index of Zombie Mania. It's It's a reference to another book series I used to work on where the joke was we had a fake thing in there. Uh, And so we decided to put a fake movie in Zombie Mania just for the hell of it and to have fun, see if anybody caught it. And it was called Zant, and it was about the fact that ants were coming back from the dead, so you had to step on their head <laughs> to kill them. Um, but lo and behold, here we are years later, and there's an actual fungus that's turning ants into zombie ants in the real world, so they, they beat us on that one. Uh, but The Last of Us did it, yeah. and they kept it under wraps, and probably wisely, because they probably would have been damned as just another zombie video game. Mm-hmm. But by doing it that way, they kind of slipped it in. It was like, no, we're a post-apocalyptic, immersive experience. And then, up oh, fungus zombies. You know, there's a, another game, too, that was kind of a phenomenon a few months ago. And uh, that was uh, DayZ. I don't know if you heard about that one. Uh, basic, no, yeah. I haven't heard. Well, yeah. you'll be fascinated oh, by I this. Might yeah, I think we talked it. about it. But basically what it was is it was a modification. Uh, as far as I know, a fan-constructed modification of Arma 2. 
which is a, okay. just a military game. And it exploded. It became so popular that they had to open in dozens of new servers. The servers were constantly crashing because they were getting overwhelmed with new players because it was absolutely free. As long as you had Arma 2, you could then install this, this mod and play it. And it was a zombie survival game on this massive island, uh, which, I mean, it's just gigantic. And it just the, the, the scope of this thing is, is unbelievable. With, Haven't they done a zombie add-on for things like Call of Duty? Also oh, yeah, yeah, they did. The uh, they've yeah. done that. And then one where you play like McNamara and Kennedy <laughs> and you're like fighting <laughs> zombies. It's like set in the 60s. Uh, they've done all that kind of stuff. I mean, everywhere you look. And, that, and of course, there's been video games with Nazi zombies. and Sure. I mean, it's just, oh, that's a subgenre. Uh, absolutely, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about yeah. that. Uh, but then I did want to get back to some of the uh, non-digital gaming uh, items, which we could talk about in and that's, as we were saying, the, the board games and card games and role-playing games. Um, certainly, Twilight Creations, it was, you know, they began doing zombie games before they were even fashionable uh, with the zombies with the three exclamation points, you know, and they've now got, what, 12 expansions or something like that and, and an Aliens variant and a Humans variant and, right. uh, and boxes and boxes and boxes. And, and you know, be, to be honest, I, I think the game is actually... An entertaining game, but I think it goes on a little bit too long. That's my only concern, criticism. It's sort of a well, it's, yeah, it's a beer and pretzels game, but it goes on a little bit too long gameplay wise. But well, I think it's also a case of the, you reach a point with expansions where it's like, how much can you realistically use? Sure. But one of one of the things I do think to its credit is that it features. I have to give a shout out uh, for obvious reasons. They'll become obvious in a second, but uh, the artwork throughout all of the game. On all the expansions has been consistent. It's been done by a guy named Dave Akins, and it was so um, wonderful to me at the time when I when I was really getting interested in it that we uh, contacted Dave to do the cover of Zombie Mania. And what was interesting was that he owned all the artwork that he does for the Zombies game. So he had all the pre-existing card and other artwork, and he could license it out. So he licensed one of Aiken's illustrations, which also appeared, if I remember correctly, it appeared with the Zombies 3 expansion, or 3.5, one of them. And uh, that was our cover. Hmm. And and what, what I also think is a lot of fun is he does a lot of, like, uh, like, very corporate licensed and like tie-in art. He's also, if not the guy, he was one of the guys, at least at the time anyway, who would do Dora the Explorer artwork. <laughs> <laughs> so I always wondered if he'd ever do or had ever done on commission any kind of mashup of Dora meeting the zombies <laughs> from the zombies game. But uh, he has quite a range too. He can do everything from that to just the pure carnage of the Twilight Creation Zombies games, oh, that's and great. it's great stuff. Yeah, yeah, and there, and again, there's been so many other ones. There's, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just drawing a blank. Of course, you know, there's been Mall of Horror, and there's been, I think, City of the Dead as might be one. There's there's a, a game which is sort of this global one, which is called like Zombie nation or something i mean there's just so many that have come out i mean i can't even keep up uh, what's the one la is it last man on earth or uh, last uh, night uh, on last earth? night on earth uh published yeah. by uh, i believe it's uh, flying frog i think is the name of the company and they will put links yeah, for a oh, lot yeah, of this stuff, i mean so. they've they've done that's a terrific game too um and then in the role-playing game industry which of course uh, most of you know i'm a big fan of uh we've had all flesh must be eaten uh, which mm -hmm. has been expanded numerous times as well. There's a lot of supplement, supplemental material for that. 
but it seems like almost any genre has had some kind of a zombie uh, spin-off or role-playing game or variant. I was going to say you can go back to just classic D&D and zombies are always a part of that too. Oh, absolutely. From the very first, there was always zombie in there. Now, it never mentioned anything about eating flesh as far as I remember. Maybe later editions did. Mm-hmm. But um, just this idea that they were the you know reanimated corpses that would do the will of some sort of overlord. Um, See, what you just pointed out is something that makes again, an episode like this, so insanely difficult. Exactly. Which is, you just said any genre could do And the thing is, that's what we've really gotten to today. The zombie as a concept, in all of its many forms, has become so incredibly popular that you now can't turn to any medium or even any genre. It is no longer restricted to horror that doesn't attempt to incorporate zombies in some way to the point where, quite frankly, even somebody like me that spends a lot of time with it, I would say there, and maybe this is a good thing to bring up because maybe this stir up a little controversy too. Everybody would think that I think everything with zombies is awesome, or that I'm somehow like a cheerleader for all that. I I have no problem with saying there are lines that shouldn't be crossed, mm-hmm. or there are things that I disagree with. I'm not saying they can't exist. No one person can say, "Oh, I'm going to shut this down. I'm not going to allow this to happen." I couldn't do that anyway. But I do feel strongly that sometimes there are places where certain things shouldn't go. And we've reached a point where zombies are everywhere. Pride and Prejudice in Zombies is one of those great examples. A few years ago, Seth Graham Smith has now become a very successful screenwriter and and writer. He did uh, was Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Um, He did this, uh, at the time, must have been an insane pitch, was take the actual text of Jane Austen's original novel, which is arguably, I guess, her most popular and most adapted, I think. Um, my wife will kill me if I get that wrong. But, um, and decided to use all the text, but then weave in new material that said that, oh yeah, while the story's happening, Elizabeth and all of her sisters are also being trained zombie fighters because zombies are rising in that era. Uh, and it was enormous pop culture success that got so much coverage and so much attention. Interestingly, the film adaptation of it is continually stalling. You'd think they would have gotten that done by now, but they didn't. But we're, we're inserting zombies into everything. Now, there are places I feel that I've been personally offended by it, and I'm going to call one of them out. One of the most popular comic book events of the last few years was when Marvel did Marvel Zombies, mm-hmm. where they introduced an alternate Earth in the Marvel Universe where all the superheroes had become zombies. And it also featured a zombie Spider-Man who had eaten his wife, Mary Jane, if I remember correctly, eaten Aunt May as well, but retained enough of his identity, that, and they all do apparently, that they can remember, and he's wracked with guilt and tormented by the fact that he's done this. I have no problem saying I think that's deeply offensive and disgusting. Mm-hmm. You don't take characters that represent the greatest ideals that, particularly speak to children is what is heroism what do we aspire to and turn them into horrific monsters that turn on their own wives and family i don't find that fun i don't think that says anything important i think it's a cash grab in the worst possible way and it's been enormously successful for them and spawned many other future series. I think Kirkman was even involved in the original conception of the Marvel Zombies. Hmm. And so I can't stop it, but I would say, yeah, there are some areas zombies don't belong, and that's one of them. I, wouldn't, I don't enjoy that. I don't think that works. 
I think zombies have a very valuable part to play in pop culture by expressing fear and giving us an escape valve for real fear and showing us what we're thinking and feeling as people. But there are places they don't belong, and I think that's one of them. Yeah, and then, of course, they did that uh, zombie storyline in the Star Wars novels as well. Yeah, I haven't read that, but that's weird. Too is it Death Troopers? I think yeah, isn't it? A, it's like a, a, a imperial starship that's like occupied by the undead. Yeah, I'm not sure that that that's something that would bother me as much because in the case of the Marvel stuff, what I'm saying certainly is that they're they're almost like inviolate childhood icons. Sure. They're like something that represents something of purity, and it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, again, you know, they were popular. I'm not stopping them, but I don't like it. When this emergency first began, radio and television was advising people to stay inside, behind locked doors for safety. Well, that situation has now changed, and we're able to report a definite course of action for you. Civil defense machinery has been organized to provide rescue stations with food, shelter, medical treatment, and protection by armed National Guardsmen. Stay tuned to the broadcasting stations in your local area for this list of rescue stations. is G2V. For almost two decades, Midnight Syndicate has composed the soundtrack to your darkest nightmares. The imaginations of fans worldwide have been fueled by its gothic, horror, and fantasy symphonic albums. A staple of the haunted house and amusement park industry, for many, the music of Midnight Syndicate is the music of Halloween. Now, Midnight Syndicate will bring your nightmares to life in a spectacle of sight and sound from beyond the gray. Support Midnight Syndicate Live on Kickstarter.com today. I'll also tell you one anecdote that I know I've told you off mic, but you mentioned a lot of the gaming. Zombies have been an incredible opportunity in gaming because they represent basically a great chance for people to experience the visceral impact of fighting against the living dead in first-person shooter-style games. Mm -hmm. And so many movies have actually played with that. I mean, when, we, when you look at the original Dawn of the Dead in 1978, it's one of the things I often point out is how often uh, scenes in Dawn of the Dead actually point the gun out at you, the audience. Very often, you, the audience, are made into the zombie in shots in Dawn of the Dead. It's a very consistent effect that gets kind of... Un, uh, um, not annoying, but uh, disturbing, and, and it sort of makes you cringe a bit. The gun is constantly being pointed out of the screen at you. Hmm. Uh, and and it, and that's a, something that other zombie movies have picked up on. So it makes perfect sense that if you're talking about a shooting gallery scenario, zombies are great for that. Zombieland was a great movie that actually just took on the video game and amusement park idea and used it in the film itself. But it's reached into other parts of our culture and sometimes in ways that I find um, unsettling. 
And when I first started the zombie course in 2010, I got inundated with emails and phone calls from places that naturally wanted like, oh, use my book, use my comic, use my product in your class. And one group was a group that was a company that produces shooting targets for gun clubs and shooting galleries. And they were starting a line of zombie targets because it's just a great metaphor for providing a little extra fantasy and distance. And they said, check out our zombie targets. We'd love for you to look at them and see what you think. And so I went to their website. This was 2010. And I saw their zombie targets. And they had their usual gun targets, just generic robber, generic whatever. And the zombie targets were zombies, a zombie man, a zombie woman. And I kept clicking through. And suddenly I hit zombie Osama bin Laden. And it was Osama bin Laden done as a zombie. And then I clicked and it was zombie Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein is a zombie. And then I stopped looking at the website because I was actually really, really afraid of what I was going to see next because I thought I had a pretty good idea. Hmm. Uh, flash forward three years. It's 2013. It was earlier this year. And I read a news report about a company getting in trouble for selling zombie targets that looked very, very much like one of the uh, major world leaders of a country we might know very <laughs> yeah. well. And guess which company it was? It was the one that had contacted me in 2010. Mm -hmm. So the zombie is an interesting metaphor because it can be used by anyone. And since it is really about fear, it can embody aspects of that that some of us might find really, really unsettling in ways that have nothing to do with horror movies, but everything to do with the real world. But it always reveals something about what people are thinking. Yeah, I remember going into a, a store one time, and, and they had, I don't know what kind of a place this was, but they had the paper targets that you could buy uh, yeah. for shooting. And they had, you know, the, the, that standard black outline of, the, of a figure with the, with the, you know, the bullseye on it and everything. And then they had a zombie one. And this mm -hmm. was many years ago. I mean, at least it felt like many years ago. But, sure. And it was sort of a crudely drawn zombie, but it was clearly a zombie. So. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, you know, I, I, as you were saying in relation to gaming, uh, there's another fascinating, th fascinating thing that I've noticed over the last few years is that the miniature gamers have really embraced zombie survival games as well. That's that sort of is mm. another thing that's exploded. There are multiple rule sets you can buy, and almost every miniatures company out there that's manufacturing miniatures, whether they be metal or plastic or whatever, will do a line of zombies. It's just inevitable. So if you mm. wanted to build up an army of zombies, you have <laughs> thousands to choose from. Um, I, you know, I have several here that I've, you know, acquired over the years and that I've been painting, uh, always thinking in my mind, someday I'm going to do that epic miniature zombies, you know, game, survival game. Oh, I got to mention this. I wouldn't have even thought to mention it if you hadn't brought up the minis. But one thing, if it's never come up before on the podcast, I'm not sure if it has. One of the other things I am very much a fan of have been my whole life, really. But uh, it really came back with a vengeance a few years ago is Lego. And uh, I, I grew up with Lego, loved it, and for many years also would always, like, even as I grew older, keep trying to buy, like, a set or two every year, like, keep my hand in. And then went through what adult Lego fans call their dark ages, which is any period of time where you stop buying Lego. And I went through that for quite a few years. And then back in 2007, Lego got very sharp and started marketing these very highly detailed ultra complicated, larger uh, building sets, actual buildings like city buildings called the modular line uh, to adult fans, knowing that we were all out there in our 30s and 40s and desperately wanting to 
uh, by Lego again, <laughs> and it started me up again. But one of the interesting things was Lego has always been, it's one of the most enduring toy brands in history. It passed 50 years. Um, anybody that knows anything about Lego will know the minifigures who have been synonymous with Lego uh, since the late 70s. Um, and they're a very family-friendly brand. They've also been very adamant about trying to avoid certain aspects of violence. In fact, I think it wasn't until they started doing licensed tie-in Lego in the 90s for properties like Star Wars that they even really started doing little guns for the minifigs because they were doing laser guns and things like that. There are actually a lot of third-party companies that create a lot of um, accessories for Lego that you can buy that aren't uh, Lego approved, but they let them make them and you can buy, my God, you can create an entire arsenal of weaponry for your Lego minifigs. But that's a whole other story. But what's interesting is uh, a few years back, Lego launched a line of collectible minifigures. You purchase them in little poly bags and they put them out in sets of 16. And like every few months, there's a set of 16 collectible minifigs out there and they're all different kinds. You can get a little female scientist, a little caveman, a little, and every line has a different wild assortment of characters. And you're theoretically supposed to buy them blind. The packages are opaque, but you know people know how to figure it out. You either feel for the figures or you know the little codes, all kind of things. Anyway, when they first launched it in the very first line of collectible minifigs a few years ago, who showed up for the very first time in Lego history but a Lego zombie minifigure? Oh, nice. And he was one of the most instantly popular and resold figures that they had ever made. That's great. And he, he's a little zombie figure with a gray face and little, little, little blood and a little bit of eyes, a little more than you'd think they would do, and a slightly torn gray suit. And he's carrying a, a chicken or turkey leg. <laughs> Because he's eating flesh, but no, don't worry. There's even a little write-up when they first did it. There's like a little character edit for all of them. And they said something in the write-up. I can't remember exactly what it is now, but something cute about it. Oh, he's hungry, all right, but he's got his turkey leg with him, so he's okay. <laughs> and also, for some strange reason, he came with a shovel. So apparently, he's either going to dig himself back in or he dug back out again. <laughs> but the first thing I did was go out and buy as many of those zombie figures as I could. And when I set up my Lego City for the first time in many years which, by the way, is still uh, set up upstairs. There is an enormous graveyard at the end of the Lego street, and those zombies are streaming out all across oh, the street awesome. right now. <laughs> there are about 50 of them, I think. You could totally use those for a, a tabletop war game. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> oh, oh, and Lego Mini, and they've grown wise because those collectible minifigs come in, in so many different ways, like Roman soldier, Greek soldier. There, there are guys out there that all they do is army build for gaming. And they use the Lego minifigs for that. Oh, that's great. That's a whole other episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there you go. So, I mean, even in the quote-unquote family-friendly brand, Lego finally incorporated in a, in a smart way a zombie. And they've uh, carried through with that. They did a recent line called uh, Monster Fighters, I believe. There's a haunted house they put out that's currently sitting in our living room that's part of our Halloween decorations. And they introduced a zombie bride and groom, which is actually kind of sad if you think about it. <laughs> But there are zombie bride and groom just sitting there. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You can't get away from zombies. That's the key. Well, we could go back to talking about their presence on TV. Sure. Um, there's... Which is more extensive than people might think. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was, I was just thinking about it. Well, I mean, we said Walking Dead a few times. But certainly zombies have been around for a very long time. If we're going back to the 30s and 40s in film, 
zombies didn't take as long as The Walking Dead to show up on television. If anybody has seen classic television horror, Twilight Zone had zombies. Um, there's one I always remember that's great, which is uh, one of the creepiest ones they ever did. Uh, and I might get the title wrong, so we might have a link or something. I think it's Mr. Garrity in the Graves. It's a Western where uh, he comes to town and he's a con artist and he convinces people in town to pay him money to bring back the dead. Except, of course, he always targets towns where everybody would much rather have the dead stay dead because there are secrets they don't want to come back. (laughs) And then he charges them again to put them back down. Except, of course, that it's Twilight Zone, so things are going to go horribly awry at some point. So zombies have always been around that. Kolchak the Night Stalker did one of the really memorable 70s TV episodes of the zombie where Kolchak had to climb into a hearse and sew the zombie's mouth shut. And I'll never forget that. That I remember as a kid. Yeah. That was truly creepy and suspenseful and frightening. And that was a whole voodoo zombie kind of thing, right? And that, yeah. that was a voodoo zombie kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then, of course, by the time you got up to the present day, uh, even before Walking Dead, and I was just talking about this in class today, somebody had seen it. In the UK, Charlie Brooker wrote that wonderful miniseries, Dead Set. Oh, it's great. Which is one of the greatest zombie stories, I think, that has ever been done with one of the most deeply affecting endings I've ever seen in a zombie story. It lingered with me for a long time after. And you'd think I'd be used to it by now, but no, if they do it right, there are ones that can really hit you hard with the full pathos of it all. And I think Dead Set does an incredible job. It's a goofy-sounding premise, because Dead Set basically is, oh, it's the Big Brother reality show and the zombie apocalypse hits while they're in the house. That sounds like a comedy, but it's not. There is a lot of humor, but it obviously There's begins humor. to degenerate. Right, and even a wonderful, probably one of the greatest modern zombie movies of all time, Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. has plenty of humor. But the humor is organic to the story. It's never, it's never humor that pokes fun at the zombies or the scenario. That is totally serious. The humor derives from character mm-hmm. and from the real situation or the realism of the situation. Right. Dead Set was fantastic. Uh, and recently, and I haven't seen it yet, but I saw the beginning of it, and it's been getting phenomenal reviews. But there's a new series now from the UK, In the Flesh, and they did three episodes of that, and I believe they're coming back for a second series. And it's one of a new strain that seems to be developing right now that also isn't new, but is an, uh, an interpretation of the zombie that we seem to be gravitating toward in the present day, which is the more articulate, more human-like zombie that wants to be back in the world of the living. And In the Flesh has that. There's a French movie, Le Revenant, that had that. There's a new series about to debut on television called The Returned that features a lot of the dead coming back but wanting to return to their lives and their families. Uh, Warm Bodies. Uh, Warm Bodies, uh, which I never thought I'd see in my life. I never thought I'd see a zombie movie where they can be cured by love. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, We seem to to want that right now. Babylon Fields, which uh, unfortunately never made it past the pilot stage, but you can actually watch the pilot, and that's another one like that. Yeah, Not love, but it's, I mean, it's loved ones that come back. Loved ones that come back, and they want to be back in their lives. And it looked like it was very promising because it also had the implication that something was going to happen there, that some of what you might call more traditional zombie tendencies were latent. 
uh, and we'll never know what that show would have become. But some of these other shows might also play with the same ideas. But that's something that's also interesting, that, that the zombie is evolving again, and we seem to be very interested in the concept of the zombie as a more human-like creature that is now not necessarily always threatening, but wanting to come back. And people always ask me, it's like, well, what does all this stuff mean? And it's like, well, what do you think it means? We're, we're experiencing an extraordinary amount of fear right now and a lot of stress. There's, there's multiple wars going on, the financial global meltdown, so many concerns with the future, people struggling to survive. And the zombie is always an escape valve for all that. But maybe since we need them around so much, it seems like we're almost trying to cure the zombies as well. We need to be more comfortable with them. Maybe we want them back, you know, to become more human because we want to be more human. Hmm. A lot of people have also been referring to the fact that the more we get attached to our phones and our devices, we're becoming zombies. Look at how people walk down the street now and don't even look at each other. They just are, you know, shambling down the street looking at their phones. That's zombie behavior right there. So it, zombies are also alienation isolation from each other and maybe we're afraid of that so maybe the zombies are becoming more human because we want to be more human right just a thought no, but you no. know i mean and going back to what you were just saying about uh, uh you know the the characters sort of being in control of themselves um mm -hmm. just a, a little side jaunt here um once again back, going back to role-playing games deadlands is my favorite RPG setting of all time and in that your characters can actually become what's called harrowed and they are living dead they are mm -hmm. they're, they're the living dead and they're constantly struggling with this sort of dead side in this case it's actually an evil spirit but there's that sense of you know while they are essentially immortal now they're still rotting they're still decaying mm -hmm. there's things they have to do to prevent people from noticing that they're like that but you're you're now given the opportunity to play a character that is constantly struggling with its mortality and uh, sure. it's pretty pretty amazing there's a lot of stuff going on that's just it, it's now everything all at once it also used to be we didn't really keep following the timeline but then again there are other places we'll do lots of lists for you of movies and we can certainly before we wrap up we'll probably offer some of our choices for what are our favorites i guess but the, the the problem with talking about this kind of thing now is just how ubiquitous the whole idea is it's everywhere mm -hmm. It's in every, like we already said, it's in every genre, it's in every medium. We are inundated with them to the point where, and I can totally understand it, more coverage about it than not is often about when are the zombies going to go away already. <laughs> and and usually, like any of these things, it would be a trend that would peak, it would have surges and valleys, and they're not going anywhere. And I quite frankly, genuinely find that more disturbing because it just shows, well, there must be so much to be afraid of that the most effective way of dealing with fear, the zombie, is something that we absolutely are not letting go of. And that also explains another thing. A lot of people often bring this up, too, and actually dealing with Halloween right now, one of the great examples of how this has become so powerful, people have always dressed up as zombies for Halloween. That's totally common. Um, but it's certainly gotten more and more popular. The Walking Dead itself now has an entire licensed line of costumes, uh, including one actually it's gotten some controversy because if you're a man, you can buy a Rick Grimes costume and dress up as Rick Grimes. But if you're a woman, you can buy <laughs> – I'm not kidding. 
I'll even we'll have to do a link to this. If I remember correctly, you can you can buy and dress up as sassy Rick Grimes. Of course. And it's Rick Grimes with a skirt. I don't know why a male Rick Grimes can't also be sassy, but apparently he can't. And I like the so, fact that uh, it's still Rick. It's still so Rick. It's, yes. <laughs> it's still we Rick. We haven't seen too many episodes where he was walking around in a skirt. So No, no. Not yet. Anymore. Yeah, not yet. Uh, and you can buy the official Walking Dead costume of the little girl from the first episode with the teddy bear and uh, Daryl's uh, zombie ear necklace and stuff like that. So, I mean, that that's always been around. But what I've actually found, because my wife and I, every year, we love going to the Halloween stores and seeing everything. In just the last few years alone, we've seen zombie costuming at the Halloween stores go from one of the many options to in every Halloween store we go to now having its own specifically labeled section. Mm -hmm. And it has become a category of its own so large that it now occupies an entire part of an aisle or a whole aisle. Zombies of every kind. And also, not a category of monster that I ever would have expected people to put that much effort into making. Sexy, but... (laughs) Sexy zombies. They've done zombie cheerleaders, zombie Uh. this, zombie that, and I don't quite know if that works but (laughs) people are doing it but it also speaks to another whole aspect of the zombie phenomenon that people often talk about which are the zombie walks many times they're done for charity right here in baltimore maryland we've had zombie walks for several years where they walk through a whole downtown they do it for charity uh or tied to some specific event zombie pub crawls have become very popular uh in many countries and uh, there's also the extremely we'll – do a link for this one too – the extremely popular Run for Your Life 5K Marathon. Yeah, those are all over the place so, too. Yeah, also a charity event. If I remember correctly, it actually launched for the first time in Maryland. But uh, I'll check to be sure about that and we'll have a link for that. And many people often ask me, why is it if zombies are about fear that people want to dress up as them so much? And I would argue that it's the same reason that we might – seem right now to be gravitating so much to making zombies cuddlier and more loving and something we can cure because by dressing up as them you also take away some of the power Mm -hmm. you assume some of it for yourself and if you need these things to stay around because you need the catharsis you need the way to deal with fear well you can't have that 24 7 you're going to need to be able to be comfortable too and you need to keep that monster around and keep it safe. And one of the great ways of making a monster safe is to dress up as one yourself and say it's all in good fun and turn the tables. And that's why you see so many people embracing that and doing so and, – and like we say, every medium, every genre, more so than ever before at Comic-Cons, you see people doing zombie variants of every character you can think of. Uh, zombie heroes, which of course Marvel and DC have done themselves. I saw – Recently online, I saw someone where they they had a whole group of friends that went to one of the conventions as zombie Disney princesses. As you do. And, as you do. And it was Snow White and uh, and uh, Ariel or whatever, a whole bunch of them, and they were all done up as zombies. And it's like, it is just so powerful an idea now that it has crossed over into every conceivable aspect of our pop culture. You can't escape it. And I can't escape the noise that keeps going on outside, which is driving me nuts. This I've is got the same thing. thing here, dude. Well, this is another thing, because the thing that bothers me most is not just the constant fireworks, but the fact that they do it late. 
and we're recording this late. For all intents and purposes, I could be asleep right now, and they're still out there, and that's just aggravating. I can't stand that. And then, you know, my wife says you shouldn't start with people because they're neighbors. Right. But it's annoying. They should know when to stop. It just hasn't stopped. And I swear I'm hearing somebody now pounding either on the side of the house or on the front door. So I don't know what the hell's going on. All right. Well, if you can do a little break or something, I, I'm this close to yelling at somebody. So I might have to do that. This is G2V. Almost two decades, Midnight Syndicate has composed the soundtrack to your darkest nightmares. The imaginations of fans worldwide have been fueled by its gothic, horror, and fantasy symphonic albums. A staple of the haunted house and amusement park industry, for many, the music of Midnight Syndicate is the music of Halloween. Now, Midnight Syndicate will bring your nightmares to life in a spectacle of sight and sound from beyond the grave. Support Midnight Syndicate Live on Kickstarter.com today. Well, we're back, so I think maybe what we can do is we could start wrapping things up a little bit, and you had discussed this earlier. We should probably touch base on some of our absolute favorite uh, zombie films, so we can at least recommend a few. I'm sure most of these are going to be ones that people have already seen, uh, sure. but you never know. We might slide something in there that you you haven't seen. Uh, I'll just toss a, toss a few titles out that are certainly at the top of my list. Uh, the original Dawn of the Dead, for sure. Mm. Um Course. Zombie 2, a.k.a. Zombie, a.k.a. Zombie Flesh Eaters. <laughs> uh, definitely very, very high up there. Lucio Fulci directed. Uh, Return of the Living Dead. A classic. <laughs> it might be on your list. I don't know. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, it'll be funny to hear what your your list is because I think you have a few interesting variants on, 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 in there. Yeah. And the list changes all the uh, yeah, time. Yeah, and it does <laughs> change. It all depends on what I'm watching. Um, yeah. Oh, God, I'm sure I'm missing something. What? Well, tell me about some of yours, and then maybe I'll see if I agree or if something else comes forward. Well, as we're wrapping up, one brief thing I'll just throw on, too, is it's one of the reasons that it seems like when you talk about zombies, it almost always just keeps coming back to movies, even though, as we said, it's all over the place. It's And this is just a personal thing, but I've always felt people often ask me about recommendations for zombie novels, and I really should just do a oh, shout-out yeah. for a couple do quick things, uh, which is World War Z by Max Brooks, which was completely... Um, uh, so poorly serviced by the recent film that some people apparently like, but I think is not only one of the worst zombie movies ever, but one of the worst movies I've seen in many years. Uh, they basically bought the rights to the title and then threw the book in the trash. But the book is a phenomenally uh, well-researched piece of work that's just incredible. Uh, and I'd also uh, say that one of the best... Uh, Jonathan Mayberry is an author. It's also written some fantastic books, including a highly politically charged Bondian modern thriller sci-fi tech kind of version of a zombie story called Patient Zero that is excellent. Um, 
And uh, one of the greatest modern interpretations of zombie in literature I have ever seen is Mira Grant's News Flesh trilogy, which starts with a book called Feed, which has that beautiful thing that sometimes happens with the double meaning, feed referring to the obvious and also to the fact that it's the RSS feed because it's about bloggers in a post-zombie apocalypse following the current presidential uh, campaign. And it's a three-book series, and it is well worth it. But... I've often said the reason we gravitate to movies is because I just feel that no matter how many good examples there are of zombies and other genres, they are such a visual concept that I think they really live best, live, <laughs> live best in movies. It just seems to be the best medium for really exploring it. Even TV, not so much, because I think one thing The Walking Dead is starting to demonstrate very clearly that the comic has demonstrated over 10 years is Kirkman's concept of the zombie movie that never ends that's kind of not going to work in the long term because there's very few that have a happy ending. So it's sort of like playing Missile Command, uh, <laughs> uh, if anybody even remembers that. But if anybody remembers the old Atari, it's like playing Missile Command because basically it's not a game you can win. It's a game where you're just staving off the inevitable end. And a movie gives you a nice tight hour 45 or two hours to do it, and it's very visual and it's perfect. So anyway, I'm sorry I did that whole preamble no, no, for that. No, no, that's but great. If I'm picking favorites, it all depends on what I'm interested in at the time, like you said. And I also feel like I should cover a few different types. And certainly if I'm picking a classic black and white film, I will have to recommend White Zombie. Um, many people would recommend I Walked with a Zombie, but White Zombie is harder to get into for some people because it runs about an hour. It feels like two by modern standards of pacing, but it is so worth it. And it's beautiful uh, work, and it's probably Belagosi's, if not best, one of his best performances ever. Uh, so that's a favorite. Um, Night and Dawn are certainly both favorites, and I know this is one of those things that sounds insane, but I think Scott will certainly understand. Night of the Living Dead is a movie that's so comfortable that any time of the year I can just throw it on if I want a movie in the background, and it feels comfortable. Right. It's like it's it's like a house I can go back and visit with those people again for a couple hours. It's weird to say that, but that's one of those movies that I can put on any time and be back there again for a while. Uh, in terms of Italian zombie movies, I do not pick Zombie 2 only because that's obvious. Yeah. And the one that became my favorite when I watched it for researching zombie mania. I know which one it is. I know. is to me, the ultimate experience of what an Italian zombie movie, what I always thought an Italian zombie movie would be. And that's a movie that is either known as Burial Ground or... Oh, I'm blanking. Night of Terror, I think. Um, but it is really over the top. In some ways, maybe much more so even than Zombie 2. I know if you're not familiar with it, you'd find that hard to believe, but trust me. And the creepiest, most unsettling, skin-crawling aspect of the film is not the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> but a character named Michael, played by a guy named Peter Bark. And when you see the movie, you will know why. It has some of the worst-looking zombies ever, though. Oh, yeah, they're terrible. <laughs> they're... But they do know how to use farm implements. Yes, they do. And, uh, and, and they're very specific about their goals. So. <laughs> I love Burial Ground. And, oh, again, what music. The, the weird um, ethereal theme that opens everything. It just instantly transports me to the first time I ever saw it. Oh, that's great. 
We can't forget Shaun of the Dead. No, Shaun of the Dead's one of the greatest zombie movies of all time, I think. I really don't think that's overstating it. It's a movie that you'd think, well, look, these guys were known mainly for comedy, but they're aficionados, and they took a genre that they loved, and they did plenty that's funny about it, but like we were talking about earlier, it's not humor that satirizes or pokes fun at the genre. It uses the genre as the backdrop for very organic humor, humor deriving from the characters behaving the way they might behave. And boy, when it gets tragic, it gets it's probably got some of the most emotionally affecting stuff I've ever seen in one of these movies. Mm-hmm. It's vi- the one scene in particular I'm thinking of that if you've never seen it, I won't say anything more, but about one character's very profound loss. And it's, it's as serious and pathetic and sad as anything you'll see in a movie that's supposedly not comedic in any way. So when you hear that one promoted as, oh, it's a rom com don't, discounted at all it's it's brilliant it's just absolutely brilliant and i was very very lucky to be able to see that opening weekend in london that's amazing that's yeah i i did not have that privilege that sounds awesome i think zombie land's a great recent example and a lot of people felt it was sort of an american counterpoint to shun the dead i don't i don't think it's perfect but i do think it captures something um that feels very current with an American sensibility related to zombies. And it's very much a movie that is keenly aware of how much they've become attached to video games right? and how we've become a gaming culture. And I think Zombieland is a movie that really captures that. I just completely disagree with the celebrity cameo. I know a lot of people think that's the highlight. It's, I think, yeah, I don't, I, it's, it's kind of a low point as, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's the worst part of the movie. Yeah. I think if you cut that out, the movie would be fine. But Woody Harrelson um, is amazing in it. <laughs> yes. And that also has a moment of extreme tragedy oh, yeah. specifically Beautiful. related to his character that's played out very well. So, yeah, I mean, there are great examples all throughout the whole history. You, you mentioned, did you already mention Return of the Living Dead? Yeah. Return of the Living Dead is certainly one of the high points. Incredible movie that, again, has a great deal of humor, but it's probably also possibly the most apocalyptic and devastating zombie movie ever because one thing I often tell people when they want to play that game of, well, you're preparing for the zombie apocalypse. Well, let me tell you something. If you are going to get caught in a zombie apocalypse, make sure you're not in the return of the living dead universe (laughs) because there's no hope for you there. They aim for the head. Doesn't matter. Take them out there. You're not going to be able to take them out, burn them up. The ashes are going to spread and create more of them. You are doomed and return the living dead <laughs> it's all over buddy so and and that trioxin theme is one of the great themes oh, yeah. in the genre's history and when we discovered that the uh, the two of us we, we knew that well that's instantly going on our itunes oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> but i mean we could spend all our time talking about more and more and it just i can't this is enough of this already with the fireworks and the crazy and now i don't even know what's going on so hold on a second what? Are you kidding me? Coming! Arnold? Uh, Arnold? Hello? Oh, great. Now I've lost him. Well, that's the end of that G2V podcast. Uh, well, let me see if I can get him back. Um, what the hell? <laughs>